We skipped over uh, an obvious praise report this morning, so this time I want the men to stand. Notice I said men. So even if you're not a, a daddy or going to be a daddy, if your mamas don't want you to be a daddy, you can still stand because what I'm going for is not just biological children. But we need to understand that something the scripture says about us. It says that we are the leaders. It says that we are the head. Now, what that means is not an authoritative dictatorship thing, but the head is like a covering symbolically. So we are the protectors. We are the ones that should be leading the way for the next generation, whether they biologically be yours or not. And the older you get, we ought to have men like Jess and Danny that are standing up to the plate and saying, you know what? There is somebody younger than me that I can spiritually advise and that I can get ready for the next stage of their life that I can give advice to, and through that advice, they may be able to give advice to somebody under them and to somebody under them and to somebody under them, and it can continue to expand. I say all this because you're going to be in a couple different places this morning as we as we do celebrate Father's Day and change a little bit of where we're at, uh, even though we've been through David and, and his sons. We're going to go to the very end of David's life, so you get a little bit of a bonus material that you might have didn't know as we go through this thing. And we're going to look at David's last words to his son that's going to take over the kingdom. And while we've talked so many times about mistakes David may have made, here at his final words to his son, he makes sure that his son understands he needs some godly wisdom to go into the next stage of his life. So if you're a daddy, you need this help and wisdom, I promise you. If you're going to be a daddy, you're going to need this help and wisdom. If you never want to be a daddy, You've got those under you that scripture has commanded you to be a spiritual mentor too. If you have a daddy, some of this stuff will make you grateful for how awesome of a man he's been. Some of it will remind you of what a man he should have been. And those are the moments where I hope you can realize Abba is father to the fatherless and you still have something to be grateful for. And in a minute, when I read these statistics, you will be in a couple different places as well. And you will be able to say either thank God that statistic didn't have to be me because numbers said so. Or to open your eyes to say, hey, there's something that is does need to really change so that those numbers begin to drastically go the other direction. So, men, we are grateful for you. Let's give these men a round of applause. But at the same time, you carry a significant burden upon you. So please sit and listen. Sit down. The final words from a father to a son, I would say in any era, are profoundly significant. But I would say this morning as we look at 1 Kings chapter 2, and for those of you that want to study, I'll mention this a couple times, the same uh, area of of timeline takes place in uh, Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. Uh, So you really need to read all three chapters to get the whole thing about what's going on. Um, And we won't make it far before we, we have to stop. I planned on going all the way through verse 12. And the Lord cut me off with expanding on through verse four. Uh, but we will read through 12 for just a just a tiny, a tiny part of it. But the reason I point this out is because we have a dad who's saying his last words to his son. And it's a transfer of divine purpose and responsibility. 
a transfer of divine purpose and responsibility. I can't think of nothing greater for a spiritual mentor or, 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 a, or a dad who's just supposed to be that spiritual advisor or even a mom who's had to fill those roles to get to a point in their life where you have to transfer the divine purpose and responsibility over to the child. What you consider a child, what you may even still consider your baby. And King David gets to this part on his last words. He has some advice for his son. And his advice is really summed up in just a couple of things. He says, son, Solomon, I want you to be spiritually strong. I want you to be obedient and I want you to be faithful. Just those three things is what really wraps up what he's saying and, and, and just a little bit extra as well. But it sounds like advice that we need today, whether for ourselves or to pass on to somebody else. So, so parents and leaders understand this. If you want your children to keep their feet on the ground, you got to put some responsibility on their shoulders. We talk so much about not wanting our kids to waver and, and fall over with the world all around them and the things that they get thrown at them. And we don't want our spiritually spiritual children, as Paul would say, and a lot of his letters to be blown about by the wind. But one of the number one ways to do that is to put some responsibility, put some weight on their shoulder. Because if you've got some weight on your shoulder, you don't get blown around quite as much when, when winds come. You know what I'm saying? Now, now you got to understand how much weight and when to put the weight and, and all that's just part of a process. But I think sometimes we've tried to baby our, our children spiritually or physically for so long that we haven't given them any responsibility. And they've got no idea how to handle it when the first wind blows their direction. I'm proud to say I'm finally in a church and I grew up in a lot of churches. OK, but 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 I, I'm proud to say I'm in a church where I can leave. And another man will take over Wednesday and another man will preach on Sunday. And I got nothing to worry about. I, I was foolish enough to even think maybe this time I had something to worry about because because had one of the elders was was, was going to leave the same week. And I said, man, we we didn't plan this out very well. But other men have stepped up to the plate. Other other men becoming men have stepped up to the plate to lead youth. We've put responsibility on people and that has made the difference. Are we just training people so that they feel good when they leave here? Or are we training people so they can take on some responsibility and do something with it? Solomon realized, man, I might have screwed up a lot as a dad. But he took these last, I believe, possibly a year, maybe a couple months. If you want to go with it was his last moment, that's fine, too. But I don't see how all three chapters go together in one slim moment. But anyway, I'm fine with all of it. But he took all of that and he said, I'm not going to let this moment, whatever it was, month, year, moments, this moment be wasted and not tell my son what he truly needs to hear as I pass on responsibility to him. Booker T. Washington said this, and, and I want us to understand this. Responsibility isn't a curse. It's a blessing. Even at the very beginning, when, when, when I talk about a man being the, the headship and the symbolism that come with that, you need to understand that's not a curse. That's a blessing. That's a significant thing that, that God thought of you and that God, all your responsibilities that God gives you, whatever they are, are, are blessings because God thought that much of you. Don't look at them as a curse. So Booker T. Washington says this, few things help an individual more than to place responsibility upon him and let him know that you trust him. That's what responsibility does. It trusts somebody. Some men will never get behind this podium right here because I don't trust what will come out of their mouth. And I'm okay to tell you that I'm not ashamed of that. That is a responsibility God has given me and a blessing that God has given me. And I will make sure to to adhere to that the best that I can. And if I get out of line, somebody kick me back in it. Okay, kick me good. Sometimes I need to kick it. But I tell you, the same thing with that upper room. 
It, 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 the first, a, a stranger's not just going to come up in there and, and preach a sermon or give a message. I'm gonna listen to you. If I got to listen online or if I got to just, if I got to stalk you, I don't know how to do all that, but I got Nicole who can Facebook stalk anybody and get any information there is. So we, we can track it down and get it straight. But we need to understand when we place that responsibility, that weight on somebody's shoulders, that's a trust. That's a man, I trust you. I told Jess that a couple weeks ago when I, when I asked him, he goes, man, I've never done that before. I said, yeah, but I trust you can. I, I know, I know you can take care of it. It, it's that time. It's the passing of that that baton. And that's one of the things when we talk about, I want to be a man, or we tell our kids to man up like David's going to tell Solomon here in just a minute. Here's what you need to understand. To be a man, it means you're willing to take responsibility. Willing to take responsibilities on how you live your life, the mistakes you make or the things you don't make. Irresponsible people, they want to run away. They want to run away from, from the things that they're supposed to be standing up to. David became a great man because he was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he had warts, he had blemishes, he had problems, but he became a man that received some of the greatest promises God could give a man. And it was because even though it took him longer at some moments to learn from those lessons, he, he was able to be determined not to run away from his difficulties and responsibilities, but to own up to them. In certain instances, in certain cases, and he learned what it took and he learned what it, what it meant to, to pass it along. Now, I've seriously been praying, and please hear, the, hear this section right, okay? Because I even I was really even scared to even say this part right here, but I, but I, but I feel like I'm led to. I, I've been studying on this whole racial crap and all that's going on outside, and because and, and, I, I believe we shouldn't be quiet about it. I believe we shouldn't be shying away from it. We should be trying to find a solution as the church. I don't need the government to give me a solution. I don't need any famous people to give me a solution. I need God to give me a solution, Okay. So I've been praying and I've been thinking, and I don't have all the answers yet, but one of the biggest things that God has revealed to me was it don't matter if you're black, white, purple, pink, or blue. We got a fatherhood program in the world. And that fatherhood program is failing because we got a daddy problem. We don't have a black problem, a white problem, a purple problem, a pink problem. We got a daddy problem in the world. And if the church would get off their butts and start raising up some fathers and some men that could be fathers to those that maybe don't have a father, we can solve a lot of the issues right then and there with just that simple solution. Okay? You look at the numbers and you try to play the number game. Well, here, let me advise you to take it even further if you want to play the number game on race or anything else. You then take both groups. I don't care which color you want to do first, okay? And you divide them up into those that had a daddy in the home and those that didn't. And you will see that the numbers percentage-wise almost mimic one another no matter what color you are because we got a daddy problem. And a daddy problem is a heart problem for the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation, next generation. Because we continue to take on the sins of past generations and we share them to the next generation and we keep it going along the way. Listen to some of these if you think I may be wrong. I think fathers are too significant not to learn to become great men. And and here's why. Listen to me now. 43% of U.S. children live without a father. Guys, that means you look around this room and every other person you look at for the most part at some point didn't have a daddy present in their life or maybe don't have a daddy present right now. That means our children, when they go to school, half of their classmates just about don't have a daddy present in the home. Sixty three percent of teen suicide comes from a fatherless home. Sixty three percent, that's almost two out of every three that commit suicide. That's five times the national average, people. 90% of runaways are from homes without a daddy. 90%, that's 32 times the national average. 
So you want to talk numbers? Let's talk numbers, right? 80% of rapists with an anger problem come from fatherless homes. 14 times the national average. And if you're wondering, why did you put that statistic included with anger problems? Because it takes out all the statutory rape things that you may argue and say thrown the, thrown the statistic off. Nope. That statistic is as real as it can get when you throw in the anger calls as well. Okay? 85% of children with behavior problems come from fatherless homes. 20 times the national average. We have teachers in this room, I think, that can confess and stand by a lot of these numbers. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a daddy. Three out of four, just about. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients and chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. That's 10 times the national average. 10 times. How fast could we fill up an AA or NA meeting, Cliff, if we were just to start opening at adolescence as well? 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. Wow. Folks, if these numbers ain't blown your mind, something's wrong with your heart. Okay? We got a daddy problem. We got a father problem. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school and twice as likely to end up in jail and four times more likely to need help for emotional behavioral problems in their future as adults. These are crazy. These are crazy. Now, on the flip side, you can look up a lot of stuff and children with involved fathers show out to be more confident. They're able to deal with frustration better. They're able to gain independence in their own identity better. They're more likely to mature into a compassionate adult. They're more likely to have high self-esteem. They're more sociable. They're more secure. They're less likely to show signs of depression, less likely to commit suicide and more empathetic as adults. Other studies show that boys are less aggressive and girls are less likely to engage in sex before they're supposed to. So what, what part of it, what part of these stats do you, do you need to make you believe that a daddy, a spiritual leader, a man is important? And I'm not here this morning to say that women are any less important or anything like that. So don't you dare take this the opposite way. I'm just saying scripture has said very clearly that we've got to wait a trust put on our shoulders, a responsibility put on our shoulders as men. And it's about time we start claiming it and walking in it. And if we would, I believe we can make a difference to everything that's going on out there in a positive way without all this division and stuff going one way or the other. Homes need a dad. Fathers need wisdom. This very era right here in Scripture that I'm about to read, David had a lot of problems, but he said, I want to end this thing right. I want want to charge my son with what he needs. And one of the ways he points this thing out is he talks about spiritual duties, maintaining your spiritual duties, which can be summed up into one word for those of you that don't like a lot of notes. Obedience. Spiritual duty equals obedience. Jesus said obedience equals love. Okay, see how, see how we can just tie them all together. You don't need a big old note thing to, to get you into scripture. You just need three words. Boom, and you tie it together and you understand, right? Look at this. This is where Israel's, here's what I want you guys to understand. David being a man after God's own heart, he was able to maintain his spiritual duties. He ain't made a lot of mistakes. We talked about, we'll continue to talk about it for weeks to come. But here's where Israel is at this moment as we've jumped to the future right here, okay? There is no competition for Israel right now. I'm hot. Maybe I got spoiled with that uh, cold air last week. There's no competition for Israel. David has done his job as the king, and there he's almost eliminated all his enemies at this point in life. And there's no other, no other community, no other division, no other kingdom that even wants to step up to the plate and mess with David. That's how good of a job he's done at this moment. 
And might I remind you, because we're going to look at it, what he says, it was a guarantee by God. If you just follow the ways I told you to follow and, and show commitment to me and obedience to me, I will make you successful. It's a conditional promise. We don't like conditions, though, so we'll wait that for that to the end. Okay? But here's where he is. His enemy's mostly defeated. He's in a time of prosperity. Israel's one of the most powerful uh, uh, nations on earth. That makes David the most powerful man on earth. Despite his parenting mistakes, he, he's got good, successful things going on. And he pauses at the very end. And if you read Chronicles 28, 29, you'll see that Solomon is now building the temple during this, this time period right now. And, and he makes it known while things are looking good and the temple's getting built and things are going well. He says, Solomon. Before I before I do depart, I know my time is coming. I need to make sure you understand this right here. I need to be a dad right now more than I need to be a king. Now, when you've got multiple positions and you wear a lot of hats. You've got to make sure you keep your priorities in order. And at this moment, I know, David, we've already said it a million times, so I don't want to give you too much credit on how much how much he messed his hat, hat wearing time up. OK, but here at this moment, he says, I know I need to be a dad. Right now. And as a dad, he sits down with his son. And here's the number one thing he says first. So your first lesson, if you want to be a good daddy, a good father. You want to break the mold of the daddy problem. A father fulfills his responsibilities. That's pretty simple, ain't it? A daddy fulfills his responsibilities. Let me let me read verse one and two. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son. Some of your translation will say charged. I like charged even better. He charged his son Solomon. As for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. One of your greatest responsibilities as a dad is to make sure you are raising sons and daughters that will be contributors to the community and to the kingdom of God. One of the greatest responsibilities we have as spiritually mature mentors of those less spiritually mature than ourselves is to make sure we are raising men and women and children and adults and whatever else old people or whatever, we need to make sure we are raising them to expand the kingdom of God. And when we don't is when we fail. David reigning with his son at this moment, which I think is kind of neat, by the way, if you take all these chapters together, that kind of means here at the very end of David's life, he's reigning with his son. It's almost like they, they've got this team thing kind of going. So while there was a lot of mistakes here at the very end, he's got something positive really going. And at this time, He says, I'm placing my full legacy into your hands and I'm charging you, Solomon. I'm challenging you. I'm ordering you. That you better step up to the plate. Because I'm passing on and I'm trusting to you responsibilities. Was this David's only son? No. So can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would mean for Solomon? My dad thought so much of me that he's made me next in line. He's passed on to me this responsibility. He's let me do dot, dot, dot. Any of you, any of you men, maybe your girls too. You remember the first time your daddy let you drive? Am I the only one? That was it. Man, I don't know about you, but growing up, that was like a highlighted moment right there. I was 12 years old and I was driving an 89 Toyota. The ugliest, biggest piece of junk you've ever seen in your life. And I can say this because my dad would take oil later. The same 89 Toyota would get oil out of my Toyota and put into his Toyota because he would tell me I changed my oil too soon. Right. I'm dead serious now. I promise you. 
Huh? I'm dead. I'm dead. So, so this little thing. But you would think I was driving a Ferrari. We would stop at the beginning of a dirt road, headed out to Harleyville or coming back to Ridgeville or, or wherever else. And he would say, why don't you get in and you drive? Oh, man. It was on. By the way, the 89 Toyota was two-wheel drive and they only had 14s on it. So it wasn't a whole lot to really look at and experience. But you sure would have thought that joker was bad. That was the baddest four-cylinder you ever did see. Tell you right now. All right. But, but when we get that responsibility, don't you remember those moments? You remember the first time you were left home alone? Do you? Even if it was for 10 minutes while mom and dad rode up to the grocery store and back or to the gas station and back. Or they just walked across the street to grandma or grandma's, grandpa's. Right? You remember that? Oh, it left me alone. What can I get into? <laughs> right? When they coming back, how am I going to get caught? You remember the first time they let you leave house? Remember the first time they let you stay tonight with somebody? There's something significant about when we pass on responsibility and trust into people. I think that's just such a small lesson, but one we need to make sure we grab a hold of. We need to be in an era where we've raised men and women spiritually and physically to a, to a time period and a level where we can trust them with some responsibility. And then they can grow from there into that, right? This is the words of David as, as he directs this kingdom and gets, it gets, gets ready to leave his life and pass it on in the Bible. Dying words are always significant, but, but I think there's something even more special about this moment because verses one through four, you get the first part of this charge. It directly addresses the vital and primary important things. What's number one? Following God. What's number one? Obedience to his rules. We're going to get to reading it here in just a minute, right? But, but then the second part, which I, I don't want to expand on too much, but, but I can't go without looking at the second part, verses five through 12. If you guys read over that and you review it, you see some instructions on how to secure the kingdom. You, you see some instructions on how to handle friends and how to handle enemies. He gets to that section. And he says, hey, you remember that old Joab? I didn't want to spill this because I've been trying to build Joab up because there's a significant thing that comes up later. But but I'm going to go ahead and spill it. That Joab, he may appear to be my friend and he may have been awesome, but he's always doing some sneaky stuff behind my back. And some of the stuff he was doing was killing people when he wasn't supposed to be killing people that I told him not to kill. So you need to keep an eye on that little joker. Maybe even more of an eye. You might have to eliminate him yourself. Read what he says. Right. Then he reminds me, he goes, you know, when I was on the run one time, there was this, this small group of people that aren't part of our kingdom and they're not they're not with us right now. But those guys, those were good friends. You need to build that friendship. up. Those were guys you can trust. Then he goes back to where we would have been today, which I had to kind of snicker when I read uh, this section, because we would have been in chapter 16, which talks about this guy. I really can't say his name, but Shami, that's what I'm going to call him. Right. And, and he gets to this section and he reminds me, he goes, that guy, that guy insulted me in front of everybody. That guy threw stones at me. That guy was rude and inconsiderate. And because of who I was at the moment, I didn't get to deal with him the way I wanted. So Solomon, maybe you can deal with him the way he needs to be dealt with. I say all that and I didn't want to skip over it because of this right here. A good father is a protector. A good father is a protector. A good spiritual man is a protector. A good spiritual advisor is a protector. He cares about the well-being and the safety of those under him. He cares enough to get involved. Now, we look at this in negative ways sometimes when a dad gets his, his nose all up in our business. Where are you going? What you doing? Who you going to be with? How long you going to be when you come in home? Who else is going to be there? How long do you think you're going to stay? Don't we? 
then consider this a good thing that you've got somebody that cares about your well-being that much. Now, I know some men can even take this to an extreme, but 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 women understand it. when your man is worried about where you're going and who you with and how late you stay and gone. It's really because he cares about your well-being. Now, I understand some men have taken that to an extreme and been unhealthy. But for the most part, I believe a good spiritual man is enough of a protector where he wants to keep his bride safe. And he's worried about her well-being and he cares about her well-being. Solomon's going to have to handle some trouble like he ain't never seen before, guys. He's going to handle things like he's never seen before. And understand this, men especially, some people will never realize how important you were until you were gone. They didn't know all the crap you was stopping and all the deflecting you was doing until you're there no more. I got to see it this week with the ocean, and then it reminded me as I read it about riding with Crystal on the motorcycle. The, the boys, especially my, 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 my littlest, we call him nephew, but I guess technically he's a, he's a cousin, uh, little Maddox. He would stand right in front of me every time a wave comes. He's eight year old, but he ain't been about that tall right there. And he would stand right in front of me. He knew that I would deflect the wave and not let it get him. He was smart enough. Leaders, daddies, those that are good protectors will deflect stuff if you are following them. You're not following them. You might catch all of it yourself. Riding a motorcycle, I get to be the the large thing that deflects the wind from hitting crystals. So she's good to go and riding in lower temperatures than I would think she would be. Right. We're deflectors if we're doing our job the right way. Trouble hits you first is what that really happens. Right. Maybe David is now telling his son for the very first time, you need to listen to me, son. There's been some stuff that's been hitting me first that you don't even know about that's coming. Some of you don't understand and some of you women especially will get upset. And I do understand some men need to talk more, but you will get upset because a man's silence. Let me tell you, sometimes a man's silence is his way of protecting you. If you've got a little pansy man that comes home all the time whining about every little thing that went on during his day and tearing down the attitude of the entire household and the entire thing, he's not protecting you. He's tearing you down. Am I right? Don't get quiet because you don't like it. Maybe you're the pansy man coming home whining. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're not doing a good job every day. Sometimes your silence is the best way you can protect them. I'm serious. Think about it. Some of the times when you're begging him to open up about problems, he's trying to tell you, look, you don't need to hear about what I'm about to say. Now, some of us do need to open up more. So there's that fine balance that goes in between them, right? A good protector also let a little exposure get in. Here's why I want you to make sure you read what goes on in Chronicles during this time. Because Solomon is doing stuff during this time period. He's not just nobody one day and a king the next day. He's getting trained up. He's building this temple. He's using the things daddy has has exposed him to. And he's doing it. We aren't raising tough kids anymore because we don't let them get exposure to stuff. We want to protect them from everything. And we don't let them get bruised and we don't let them get cut. And we don't let them heal the way they need to get bruised and cut and healed sometime so that they can handle what life's going to throw at them. Life is not going to run over and kiss your little boo-boos and tell you they're going away. Life is going to pop you on your butt. If you let it. okay. sometimes we need to let some exposure happen. We've got too many men today that act more like women. I'm I'm being serious. Think about it. We've got we've got married men and women where the man in the relationship whines and wants to go back home to mama and daddy. 
wants to go hang out with the guys and tell them about how horrible things are at home. And he's whining and he don't know what's going on and he don't know why it got to be so hard. And he's going on and he wants to know why mama has to step up with a man voice and say, baby, it's going to be all right. Mama got to talk like that because you're talking like a sissy. Right? He's, he's done a great job at protecting his boy from things that need to be protected from. And at the same time, he's also given him some responsibilities so that he can get exposed to some stuff and get ready for what's coming. Man, we got to be protectors. We got to pass on responsibilities. For us today, David's charge to his son has the solemn authority of a daddy telling his son that nothing is more important than following and living out the word of God, the laws of God, the decrees of God. These trust of a heavenly father. When you read those things in verse three that we're about to look into, you need to remember this. Your heavenly father, Abba, is commanding you to do those same things right now. This isn't just something that was written a couple thousand years ago. This is something that's written for today. These statues are to be things that are given to us to rule our life. We don't know for sure how much time has elapsed. Sure. I'm on the verge of thinking after I read Chronicles that maybe David got sick and maybe he recovered from this illness for a little bit of time. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just did some of this while he was ill. I don't know. But but what I see is that we've got a daddy who's ruling with his son under certain circumstances with certain things. And that's important for responsibility. He's placed on his son Solomon responsibility. Look at verse two again. I am going the way. He's basically saying I'm dying. That's a fancy way of saying I'm done. I'm about to be dead. Right. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. He's made plans that, in, that are including counseling his successor. That's responsibility. That's responsibility. I don't care where you lead at and what you lead about. If you lead and the organization or the group or whatever falls apart, you did a poor job at being a spiritual leader. It's that simple. If you hadn't raised up anybody that can take over, there's a problem. And that's in every area. What if I didn't have guys that could run a shop or, or men that would stand up and teach? I'd never get to leave and get my moments of rest. What, what if when I left for that one week, everything fell apart? Shop went into the red. I don't know how you get the red that fast, but it could happen, I guess. Right? The, the church fell apart. I come back, there was three of you sitting here this morning. That'd be about it. Think about it. I blame Mitch because he's who preached last week. It'd be his fault. Pass the blame, right? This is no different than a charge we see where Moses charges Joshua. Jacob charges his sons in Genesis chapter 47. It's a charge, guys. And here's where it goes. This charge becomes a challenge. Number two or three, I guess, if you count that whole protector thing. A father challenges his son to become a man. We read a little bit, too. Let's go ahead and look at two and what it really says. A good and godly father wants his son to grow up to become the right kind of man. Notice this is followed with with another sentence. In verse two, he challenges his son to become a man. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. He's saying, man up, man up and show him you can do it. This is huge because Solomon is the king of Israel is responsible for a whole nation. Now, guys, this isn't like him giving him the keys to a tire store or the keys to a little old church in the country. He's responsible for a whole nation and the whole nation is going to need him to be strong. They're going to need him to stand firm and support right and go against wrong. Publicly. Publicly, we need spiritually strong people that will support right and go against wrong publicly. Not scared of hurting people's feelings and getting people against them. And he even tells me, goes, well, how are you going to be able to do this? Before we even get there, we, we get some of that in the New Testament. With Ephesians chapter six, you need true strength. Ephesians six, 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Basically, what David is about to tell his son and what Paul tells him in the church of Ephesus, he said, you can't do it alone. You're not strong enough by yourself. The best thing a man can understand is that he ain't Rambo unless he's got God on the side. Okay, he he can't handle some of the things that are going to come his way unless he lets God be his strength to do some of these things. How am I going to handle those boys that come to the door for the first time? Well, worldly, I'd like to beat the snot out of him and get, get a reputation known right off the rip. Beat him enough where he goes back and tells every boy in the school. Spiritually, what do I need to be? That boy may not have a daddy who taught him the right way. Maybe God is sending him to my doorstep for just that one moment so that we can make sure he understands what a real man is supposed to be like. That's hard for me to openly say to you guys, to be honest with you. Okay? It is. Maybe the first girls my boys bring home. It'd be girls that need some spiritual advice. Maybe they didn't have a daddy. Maybe they didn't get to see what a real godly man was supposed to be like. Maybe they've got the same perception that the rest of the world has, that, men, that Christian men got to be little cowards that, that, that sit in the corner and they look like little little drumsticks that can't do anything and they whine about everything and they do it. Maybe they need to see that a Christian man can be strong, he can be bold, he can be courageous, and he can get the job done. And even if he ain't got the statue to do it, he's got the spirit inside of him to handle it. Right? We need to understand that God is going to send young men and young women and less spiritually mature people your way so that you can make a difference in their life. It's going to be a responsibility. Did you ask for it? No, but it's going to be yours. He says, prove yourself, show yourself to be a man. And how does he say to do it? By becoming obedient in the heart to the word of God and the things God tells you. He he don't miss a beat. You can imagine Solomon might have been thinking right there. I shared with the with the kids last night. You know, we were looking at Solomon a little more in depth. And I shared, I said, I think this this conversation is what gave Solomon the ability in chapter three. When God said, what is it I can do for you? Solomon was wise enough to say, I just need wisdom because I'm inexperienced. Because if he hadn't had this conversation and dad had said, you need to bully people around. You need to make your name known. You need to collect as much money as you can and get rich. What if he'd given him that kind of advice? Right. That's not what he says. That's not how he says you can be strong. He says how to be strong. You be strong in your obedience and your heart with the Lord. Stand strong in the strength of the Lord. Look, look at what he says. Oh, before we even get there, hold on. I'm sorry. He says he said there'll be moments where you got to deal with war. That goes back to that five through twelve. There'll be some people out there that, that, that hadn't done the way he wants to be. And we need to understand as men that there's an enemy out there that, that we hadn't dealt with all the way. And because we hadn't dealt with him all the way, he wants you, he wants your family, he wants your children, he wants your church, your business, your work, he wants your nation. And if we don't start fighting back, he's going to take all those things. Some of us have started handling, handing him some of those things. Why? Because as First Peter 5 says, we hadn't been self-controlled and alert. We've let the devil prowl around looking for whom he can devour, and we've been the ones he can devour. Are we self-controlled and alert? Are our eyes open? Or do we just see the news and we're like, I need to stay away from that stuff because I don't like it. No, you need to open your eyes because it's a battle that's coming your way. Solomon, the king of Israel, is responsible for a whole nation. Dads, you're responsible for your family. It's about time we start standing up and fighting against the opposition. It's about time we get involved in the fight and stop letting other people do that. We fell into a trap of, of, of women raising our kids. That's not the way it was originally designed in Scripture. A mama raise them because she's at house. And then if they got to go to daycare, who's 90% of the workers in the daycare? Women? Who's 90% of the Sunday school teachers in the church? Not, not us. We about 50-50, but, right? 90% normally. Let's be honest about it, right? 
Men have stepped aside because somebody else has been filling the role and we're okay with it. It's, it's not time to be okay. It's time to get involved and say there's something different that needs to take place. It's something I need to do. And because I or other men haven't been doing it, this is the consequences we now get to deal with. Instead of passing the buck on to somebody else. Well, they've been doing a bad job. They did a bad job because you didn't do no job. Right? God has called men to their post. Look at John 10, 10. He said, remember, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to destroy your reputation, your marriage, your family, your children, and your churches. The enemy's after your kids. I hope you realize that. He's not after most of us. If we're deformed and decrepit and messed up, we're already there. He wants to make sure we mess up the next generation. In the next generation, next generation. But eventually the buck has to stop with somebody, right? Not only did daddy let me drive an 89 Toyota, daddy also fessed up about that same time and said, son, let me, let me share some decisions I made that were bad that you need to make sure you don't make. And I firmly believe if he hadn't done it then, it would have been a little too late and I would have begun to stumble and fall into some of the same consequences that, that he fell into, that my granddaddy fell into, that I imagine previous granddaddies fell into, and everything else. And I would have been sitting right here before you using the excuse of, well, you know, my daddy. Well, you know, my granddaddy. Well, you know, his daddy. No, how about let's just man up and say the buck stops with me. It stops with me. No, no, no. He made some bad decisions. No, I don't care. It stops right now. And that's every area. I don't care about bad decisions. Maybe it's no decision. You can say, well, I grew up in a house that, that wasn't very touchy-touchy. Hug on your babies. Touch them. They don't like it, squeeze them harder. You know what I'm saying? Do that. I, I was reading about Jacob on a whole other idea, and I was amazed at something that stood out to me in the story. His son knew, even, even, the, even the, the other one, he knew that his daddy was going to touch him. There's something powerful about touch. Right. We, we need to start. We need to start showing our kids it's OK to touch people in a healthy way. We've let the world corrupt touch so much that we're now afraid of it. Don't give the world that much power. Don't give the enemy that much power. Take it back. Take it back. Right. We need to learn how to use the things that God's given us. Look, look at this. Talk about using the weapons that God's made available. We're talking about fighting the enemy. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes to church and he says, for though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the kingdom and the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Go back to the real life thing since we're on Father's Day. Little boy comes to the door. I punch him in his nose before he says anything. That'd be a worldly way of fighting a war, wouldn't it? What if I train him the right way so that I don't have to worry about him in the future? Huh? Some of them say, yeah, but he ain't my responsibility. He is if he stays with your baby girl. Hmm? And she's your responsibility if he stays with your baby boy. Right? Think about it. Think about it. I'm just being honest, right? I like what Paul says that combines with this later on in chapter 13. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Who would have knew that maybe David was writing to Solomon and talking to Solomon and telling him it's time you show yourself a man. And years later, Paul would repeat the same thing to the Corinthian church. It's about time y'all quit acting like a bunch of sissies and man up. Put the childish ways behind you and start acting like a man. Some boys need to quit acting childish and man up. Some men need to quit acting childish and man up. You know what I'm saying? 
And, and think about children now. Here's some of the things that, that we're going to get to in just a minute. Children dream so small, really, don't they? In, in, in realistic things. Paxton started his own business the other day. It was cutting grass. Right? Does he have any equipment? No. Does he have any clients? No. Is he making any money yet? No. But his dream was to get a business cutting grass because that's something he could do. Now, do I want it? Not that there's anything wrong with landscaping or anything like that. But but if that dream was to stay just right there, would that be all I wanted him to do? Notice now his dream is to get a push lawnmower and cut a couple yards a week. No, we, we need that dream to expand, right? If not, he's going to be living in the home forever. Okay? We need that, we need that dream to, to, to grow some, right? But think about this. When you put childish ways behind you, you put childish thinking behind you. You begin to dream bigger and better. I'm going to get to it in a minute about dads being promoters, but we sat at that beach house and, and I was going to pick on her, but she's not here this morning. And somebody who sits on the back road us from Walterboro, uh, she's listening online. She said, I didn't know you owned a beach house. I said, I didn't know you could buy a beach house with the $14,000 a year. Y'all pay me as a pastor, right? <laughs> what do you mean own a beach house? Girl, we renting this thing for a week, right? But, but I was laughing about it and I come back under the house and my dad said, who knows what the Lord plans is for you? Now, I'm not going to tell you I would waste a million. Well, I don't know. I might but, you know, uh, but he's so right. He's so right. Quit dreaming so small. Huh? Or our thing at the house is I'm not going to buy a beach house, but my boys are going to buy me one. I believe they're going to one day. I'm telling you right now. I speak it into them every day and I hope to speak it into existence like scripture says, right? Speak it. I don't care if it's on Jungle Road, baby. It ain't got to be beachfront. Put me on the back row by the Mars, right? Speak it. <laughs> Guys, understand this. That's right. <laughs> Those that would keep the charge of the Lord have got to put their life in God's capable hands and ask him to make it possible. That's what he's getting at with this stuff. If you're going to be able to do the Solomon, you've got to rely on God's power, God's enable. You've got to put on your purpose that God has given you. How? Solomon starts to be strong and keep the word of the Lord to stand for truth and stand against the lie. Listen to what verse three says. I love verse three. Teaches how Solomon's to grow into strength. He says, and keep your obligation to the Lord, Yahweh. That means he already had to have an obligation, right? If he's going to keep the obligation to Yahweh your God, to walk in his ways and keep his statues, not your own, not make a statue, but keep his statues, keep his commands, keep his ordinances and keep his decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. David throws us out or then he throws in that little last sentence like we would throw in today sometime with people. But I don't know if you catch it. He says this is written in the law of Moses. What's he really saying for our crowd? today? This is written in the Bible. That's what he's saying. The law of Moses was their Bible. So he's telling them this is written in the law. This is written in the Bible. You better believe everything is in the Bible, right? Take it because it's there. He's even given a reason. Now, I love this. Take this even further. This, this is showing us that a dad is to be a provider. Now, when I say that, a lot of times the reason I point it out here is because a lot of you think if a dad's a provider, that means he's bringing home the bacon. A dad is to provide much more than money. Right? I, I hope we have dads that, that are providing wisdom, like, like David is doing right now, that is providing friendship, that is providing perspective. And that one of the things David is doing right now, a provider adds to it, makes your life fuller. It means you're a contributor. So girls, right now, think before you even get to picking out a, a future daddy for your children or a future spouse. Is he a contributor to you? 
Women, listen to me. Men, listen to me. This goes both ways. Stay away from a stingy spirit. If he's stingy at 21, he'll be stingy at 71. Right? Think about it and keep it now, right? Stay away from that. And, and while some of you are uh, humming and thinking that means you're going to get everything you want, that don't mean giving you everything you want because some of you want too much. You want the wrong stuff. Right? Here's what it really means. Listen to me now. Write this down and be real with it. It means that he's sensitive to your needs, not your wants. He knows what you need and he makes sure to be a point at hitting your needs. See, some of us fail at being husbands and dads because we start hitting the wants and we forget about the needs. And when you fulfill the wants without fulfilling the needs, you set up destruction. Because that just gives the enemy room to get in there because you did it the wrong way with the wrong motives for the wrong reason. And you wonder why destruction comes your way. Get rid of the wants if you got to in the beginning. Now, there's nothing wrong with wants a little bit later if God's blessed you that way. God, God bless you. Amen. That's awesome for you, right? I'm not going to. I don't preach prosperity. But at the same time, I don't tell you God wants you to be miserable and poor either. I don't believe that. If God's blessed you, God's blessed you. If he hadn't, he hadn't. All right. But but the truth is this. We need to sit aside a lot of the wants and just stop with them for a little while and get back to the need category. She needs conversation and you better be the one to sit there and talk to her because if not, somebody else will. They need advice then you better be the one to give it to them. If not, their buddies on the football team will. Or in the band or, 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 or uh, whatever else your kids are doing. Right? Right? Your little girl's looking for the right man and you don't tell her what the right man looks like, she's going to get the wrong one. Your little boy's looking for women, they're going to get hot ones instead of smart ones. Okay? And ain't nothing wrong with a smart and a hot one. I got one of them myself. But I'm just telling you right now. All right? I'm telling you now. I'm telling you. Huh? No, brother, I tell you, there got to be something to attract it to them, but there got to be something to keep it too. Right? You can catch a fish all day long, but you reel some of them in and you know that ain't a keeper. You better get rid of it. Right? It needs to be both. It needs to be both. Huh? Sensitive to the need. Solomon would be strong and become a man only if he ordered his life into God's commands. Doing things God's way. Following God's decrees. The strength that would prove Solomon a man was to be demonstrated in what? His obedience to God above everything else. Now I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans. Some of you know Solomon uh, ends up not so great. Solomon made a mistake because not only did he did he want to get a lot of wives, but his motive for getting a lot of wives is what got him in trouble. I don't think Solomon was even attracted to half of his wives, to be honest with you. I don't. You read scripture and you read Solomon's story and you understand, and, and especially in this culture, he would get those wives to get what? Partnerships with other nations. To publicly appeal and make the people happy. The minute you start doing that, you've opened the door to destruction. That's what Solomon did, and that's what a lot of us do. We don't worry about the, the commands of God. We worry about the appearances of everybody else. Right? The priority is personal life and his royal leadership was to be committed to the will of God. What, what, what is David really talking about? Understand this. Here's what David's talking about. David's talking about being faithful. When he uses words like keep your obligation and, and walk in his ways and keep his statutes, what he's saying is, son, you need to be faithful. And maybe he's speaking from an experience where he wasn't so faithful. And maybe he knows already that Solomon is good looking as he is and, and as smart as he's going to be in the position he's going to be in. Maybe he knows, son, you're going to be tempted not to be faithful in many areas of life. I got news for you. We're all going to be tempted not to be faithful in many areas of life. And if we don't stop it early, it'll go too far. And that's what he's saying. Be faithful. Keep your obligations. Keep his statutes. Keep his stuff. 
David knew exactly where he fell and he didn't want his son to fall and make the same mistakes. It's the only thing that separates David from other men in scripture, by the way, guys. If you study David and you've been studying David with us and you wonder, man, what in the world made him any different? He owned his sin and he repented of it. That's it. To be honest with you, he made more mistakes than Saul probably made. Or at least worse ones in my book. I guess I'm not the, the greater of mistakes, but, but if you think about it, right? But he owned it. David knew where he fell. His last words, he says, Solomon, you need to be obedient in these four years. You need to observe what the Lord says. You, you need to obey Yahweh. You, you, need to, you need to live and walk in his ways. And, and he even uses these words when he says, keeps his decrees, statutes, ordinance, commands, laws, requirements. Look, these four words right here, guys, would fall right into the Mosaic law. It, it, it's beautiful what he's saying. Statutes, commandments, and judgments refer to ceremonial, moral, and judicial laws. Three for three right there. We say, well, hold on, we got one more. We got testimonies. Yeah, wasn't there a soul, a, a whole lot of conversation about passing on information from generation to generation to generation? Well, I guess that fits right on into the Mosaic Law as well for the Old Testament, right? Look at what he's doing. We read it and we don't notice it unless we really sit back and like, I guarantee Solomon heard these things. And instead of uh, instead of um statutes, commands, and judgments, he heard keep the ceremonial, keep the moral, keep the judicial, and pass on to the next generation. That's the four things he heard. Because he knew what these things meant for him. Because he knew what? The law of Moses was the Bible of his day. So if it's written in that, he's got to follow it and be with it, right? All God's requirements for us guys is written down right here. All of them. You say, well, hold on. I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Then open the word of God. Yeah, but I'd rather just ask somebody. They may tell you the wrong thing. Open the word of God and get it yourself. We are not a denomination where we say, only what the pastor says is what's only what your Sunday school. Bull. Bull. I'm going to tell you right now, be a Berean. Check things out. Check it out. Study it. Find your own stuff. Now, now, now what I love, if we're, if we're open and we're honest, we're all growing at different levels. Some of us are here. Some of us are here. And, and those here should not be speaking less of those here. And those here shouldn't be speaking less of those here because we should be pulling each other up. You say something here that they don't understand. Well, let's break it back down. Guess what? It's a whole lot easier to come downstairs than it's easier to go up when we're talking about teaching. Not changing your moral view now. Just teaching. Understanding. I'm being serious. Think about it. We're sitting that upper room all the time. And we joke about a section of the table that says we, we on this level. Other people on this level. Yeah, but we want to train each other so we all get on the high level. Right? Think about it. That That's our goal. That's our job. That's our responsibility. King Solomon himself is charged to do what's written in the word of God. David charges him to study the word. That's what he's saying. Study it, David. Check it out yourself and then keep it. And if you do these things, the kingdom will do well. It's two, it's two promises there. He says you'll do well as an individual and the nation will do well if you keep these things. Here's what David is being. And these, these other couple ones, by the way, sound a little funny, but I think they're so true. Good dads, good men are priests. Now, 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 what I mean by that is this. You look at Noah when that ark first found dry ground. Anybody know the first thing Noah did? Well, even before he sacrificed, he had to do something. Built an altar. He, and I tell you now, I've been on a boat for that long. I'm going to build me a house. I'm going to get me the most comfortable bed you've ever seen. I'm going to hit the supermarket. And we're going we're gonna to find a store that stayed open through the flood. And we're going to get the best mattress they got. That one deck cross got sleeps on, right? No. 
Not knowing because he knew his house would be nothing if his relationship with God wasn't something. He builds an altar first. He takes time to be with God first. He takes time to pray first. Then when I say you're to be a priest, understand this. We need some good prayer life going on. I don't just mean coming to church as a check mark and getting through it. You can come to church all you want. If your prayer life stinks, it stinks. Coming to church ain't going to change that. That's something you got to do on your own. Spiritual spiritual commands in scripture, what? Pray without ceasing. Why? Because your problem's going to come without ceasing. What does that tell? It tells men, pray with lifted hands. When's the last time you saw a group of men just lock hands together and lift them up and pray to Almighty God? That's a beautiful thing to see when men get together and pray together and give stuff to God. David knew that he's about to turn things over to his son. And his son wasn't going to be able to handle it all. So he's telling him, son, you can't carry all of it. and You're not supposed to. You got to trust and rely on the Lord. I want to say something, and I hope you guys don't take this the wrong way. Sin is not our biggest problem. Everybody hear that? That got your attention good enough? Because all you're thinking, hold on, I thought sin was the problem. Sin is not your biggest problem. You don't think God can handle your sin? Huh? You don't think God can handle your sin? Your biggest problem is prayer. Your biggest problem is prayer. Because if you would pray about it, God said he could solve it. What does he tell me? If my people... What was it? Would humble themselves and call out my name. I would take care of restoring all their land and everything they've really got all messed up. God says a lot in that sentence, guys. I don't know if you get it. Because what God's saying is, I know you done screwed it up because I got to repair it. Think about it. He wouldn't have to restore something that wasn't tore up, right? If we didn't tear it up, he wouldn't have to fix it. So he's saying, I know you done tore it up. That's not your problem. Sin is not your problem. I didn't call you to sin no more, right? That's that's a target, but that's not a literal command, right? That's the target. Your problem is prayer. You don't pray about stuff. Look, look at how long David stayed in some of his struggles. What's the one thing we can find throughout it? He wasn't praying. He stayed almost a year in, in, in one of the biggest sins and corrupted parts of, of his ministry, of his leadership. And well, what? He didn't pray about it. But but he gets to the birth of this baby, and where does he go? Oh, I'll go back to that chapter. We'll stay in 2 Samuel longer. Where does he go? His son is sick. His son is dying. What's he doing? He goes to the temple and prays. Oh, the first time, finally, David prays. God had to punch him square in the back of the head to get him back on track. Right? But after that, what's he do? He prays, and in my opinion, God sucker punches him one more time with probably the greatest grief ever. But what's he do? He gets up and worships. God, I understand why. God, I, it, yes, I will no matter what. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Conditions don't matter. It's you that matters. Right? That's where he goes. But he had to get back into prayer to do it. Church, understand me. Now, sin is a problem. Please don't think you can go sin all you want. But get the point, okay? Prayer is our problem. Our problem is we don't pray and get stuff over to God. If we would pray, I think God could deal and handle our weaknesses. Here's the third thing. Our 33rd thing. Who knows how many points we got, right? Our father relays his responsibilities, rewards. That's a good ending. Right? I told you we don't make it to three through four. A father relays responsibilities, rewards. What do I mean by that is this. David conveys at the end of verse three and end of verse four, two awesome vital benefits. 
Sometimes I think we leave out the benefits when we're preaching to people. But what's wrong? Why, why not let the benefits be known? Or if they're God's benefits. Now, I'm not talking about some man-made junk. I'm talking about if it's what God says. Look at what he says. Uh, second half of verse 3 and 4. That you may succeed in all you're doing wherever you turn. Well, my goodness, anybody want to raise their hand that they don't want to succeed? Anybody? All right, then maybe we should do what we're told to do. Verse 4. So that Yahweh may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me. This goes back to chapter 7 in, in the book of Samuel. Saying that if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth and with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Wow. Wouldn't it be awesome if God would promise us some of this stuff? Some of it is promised to us, by the way. P.S. Right? So think about this. David's saying, son, if you will follow the Lord and lean on his strength, God will make you successful. All you got to do is be obedient to these things. So, so David's really putting a, an extra thing and understanding on this promise now, because we, we looked at it back in Second um, Samuel chapter 7 a little bit more in depth. But we need to understand this, right? The promise is given is this. Obedience guarantees success. Obedience guarantees success. We don't like conditional things, do we? We try to stay away from that in the church world. Don't, don't we? Be honest. Don't we? What we mean is conditional. Certain things are conditional. Now, certain things are not conditional as well, but certain things are conditional. Let me look at it this way. The first blessing or the first benefit of, of, of this thing is personal and it's kingdom prosperity, right? David's personal obedience will result in personal success, which also means if he's personally successful, the kingdom will be personally successful, right? Now, 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 now it goes even further. The second thing in verse four, obedience ensuring that God's ongoing fulfillment of the promise that God made to David's uh, lineage. This is eternal nature that we're talking about. So the unconditional part, we talked about this in chapter 7, the unconditional part is, is who's going to come from David's lineage? The Messiah. That's a, that's a promise that's unconditional. David, no matter who's sitting on the throne and what the outside conditions look like, this is going to happen. We have some unconditional promises. I hope we understand that. No matter what life looks like, no matter how nasty it gets, there's some, there's some non-conditional, unconditional Eternal promises that will come to pass. But he also says, there's a conditional part. If you want your sons and grandsons and grandsons and great-grandsons and great-great-grandsons to stay on the throne, then they got to keep following me. Right? So that's the conditional part. If Solomon does his job, he does like you did, I will make one of his sons heir to the throne. And so on down the down the line, right? So, so we've got two, two terms here that we're checking out. And, and here's one of the things we got to make sure we understand. The condition that we walk before God and keeping his word with zeal and resolution makes drastic differences on the blessings we receive and don't receive. Okay. Now we don't like that, but that's where it is. So here's what David does. I told you my, my dad and I kind of, kind of did it just a little bit this week. Two last things a good daddy does. A good daddy promotes. Dads, you got to start promoting your kids better. Right. We're so quick to harp on them when they do wrong. We're so quick to, to, to hash out stuff when things go wrong. A promoter, a promoter will, will not use his gifts to promote himself. A promoter will use his gifts to promote others. A good promoter, right? To make others look good. Look at what David did. David wanted to build the temple. I'm trying to stay with things we've already talked about so we don't jump too many guns, right? David wanted to build the temple. God said, no. So what did David do? He went to his room and he pouted and he did nothing. No. He started gathering material, right? He said, well, somebody's going to build the temple. I don't get to build it. It will be built. 
And therefore now in Chronicles chapter 28 and 29, while we're also in 1 Kings chapter 2, while David's talking to his boy at the very end, he can say what? Son, I got a barn full of stuff for you to go build the temple. Right? He's taking his gifts and he's promoting somebody else to do it. David ain't going to get no credit for building the temple. Most of us, well, all four of us in the room that said it, we knew that David didn't build the temple. Right? So four people knew that David didn't build a temple. The rest of them didn't know, right? Hey, think about this. If that's not enough, guys, think about think about something else in Scripture. I never caught this to the other day. Do we realize that God promotes his own son? Now, that makes sense. But, but think about some of the things that God had to say when he's promoting his own son. That is, you, if God had to promote his son, I feel quite sure we should be promoting our sons. Right? Right? Is that not a good example to follow? Now, David's not just, and this is two different things. I know they kind of sound the same, so that's why I do some separate. God, uh, David's not only promoting, he's prophesizing. He's prophesizing right here, right? A good daddy, a good man is a, is a prophet. Now, I'm not talking about telling the future and, and, and all that. And all honesty, if you study prophecy, it wasn't to tell you the future. It was to let you know what was happening when it finally happened, okay? But but a good a good prophet, a good a good preacher... It's not future telling, but he preaches life into his kids and his family. Look, look at what David is telling him. Man, if you do what you're supposed to be, your son will be on the throne. And then a the grandson will be on the throne. And our family lineage will just be flat out awesome. Right. Right. Then how about we start prophesizing to our kids what they can do and become rather than what they can't do. Huh? I almost made the mistake yesterday when, when Paxton came out with his lawnmower business. I was sitting there thinking about all the reasons he couldn't do a lawnmower business at, at, at his age. And I should have said, yeah, get your butt out there and start cutting the grass. Right? Get on down the road and start cutting somebody else's grass. Cut the next person's grass. Matter of fact, we'll drop you off in a neighborhood at 8 in the morning and we'll pick you up at 8 at night on Saturday. Right? But <laughs> Think about it. Let's start prophesizing to our kids what they can do, what they can become. Son, you can do it. You can play this. You can make this. We need to speak to their dynasty instead of their predicament. That's the problem. We want to start preaching to predicaments rather than whether in the dynasty of what can become. How about if we just started looking at our kids in the eyes saying, man, you can be better than this. You can do better than this. Right. You are a winner. Here's the problem we do. Now, this ain't on the screen. So, so grab your Bibles. Well, you grab Bibles or not. I'll tell you the story. Genesis 35. Here's what we do as parents. Now, this isn't just to pick on a mama and to uplift a dad. But it is a spot on illustration. OK. Here's what we do as parents. We scar our children with our pain. Hear me now. There are too many parents scarring their children from their own pain. Listen to this right here. I'm, I'm going to do, I'm just going to read 16 through 18. If you know the story, this is when Rachel dies and she gives birth to a, to a son. They set out from Bethel. Um, when they were still some distance from effort, Rachel began to give birth in her labor. So they're far off from where they need to be. But baby's coming. See, some things are going to come in your life when you're not in the location to, that you really want to be in to, to receive it. But it's going to come. It's going to come. It's going to come so much. I love the, the little addition we get to it. It lets us know. And labor was very difficult. Labor was a problem. Labor is a scary thing when it's not when it's supposed to be, guys. Stacy called me the other morning whenever her daughter-in-law was going in labor. Please pray. She's going in three weeks early. We get calls all the time, you know, about the time and not being exactly where we wanted it to be. So please pray. Labor at all, period. Even when things are going the right way it's supposed to be, it can be a scary thing. 
I hadn't prayed as hard as I did when Hudson was born in a long time. But there were some complications that was going on, and I got scared for the first time ever uh, on, on, on losing a close family member, and I had to pray. And I pray. So anyway, life gets difficult. Verse 17, during her difficult labor, it keeps adding that, that narrative. It keeps letting us know how, how difficult it is. During her difficult labor, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid, you're going to have another son. Thankfully, we got people who are trying to bring something positive in a difficult situation, right? Don't be afraid, you have another son. Verse 18, with her last breath, for she was dying, she named him Benoni. Now I want to stop right there. Does anybody know what that word means? Son of my sorrows. That's why I meant when I said sometimes as parents, we scar our children with our pain. She's in a difficult spot. She's in pain, sure. And the way she wants this child remembered with her last breath is to call him son of my sorrows. What would that have set him up for in the future? Huh? What kind of what kind of stamp would that have put on his life for the things to come? That's Benjamin calling right there. I mean, that's all oh, you messed it up. Dang it. That's daddy calling right there. But his father came in the room. You got to picture this now. Mama gives birth. It's all difficult. She calls him son of my sorrows because it was so miserable. She's gone. Midwife runs up to daddy. Oh, you got a boy. His name is son of my sorrows. Daddy said, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. We're going to call him Benjamin. Which means son of my right hand, which means son of my strength. Now you think about it, he could have had that stamp by mama and the, and the pain of parenting put on him, but daddy said, no, no, no. Daddy said, what I'm gonna make sure happens is he's gonna get the stamp of approval. And because of that stamp, I believe is why you know who Benjamin is, right? Every single king come on marching out of his lineage, right? Think about it. Think about what happens. Think about the, the, the thing from there. Out of him comes all the kings of Israel. Please stop telling men what they can't do and what they can't become and stop t- start telling them what they can be, what they can become. Let, let's start telling, telling them who God says they are rather than who the world says they are. You, you know, the problem I think sometimes is we don't lay hands on people enough and pray over them. My, my challenge right now to anybody listening or, or us in here right now is that this week, we stop all that. And we not only go home and pray over our sons, we pray over our daughters and we pray over our wives and we go next door and pray over our neighbors. And then we go to the next house and pray over them. And then let's just stroll around the neighborhood praying over everybody. Let's stop letting the lack of prayer be the problem. And let's start praying a lot more. Let's start getting involved in some of the things that, that we're supposed to be after. And let's start remembering that the enemy might be after our kids, but he don't have to get our kids. We can stop the generational curse right now. And if we would stop it right now, all the difference, I think our kids and my grandkids would be able to grow up there. Can you imagine if we're, we're well, some of y'all won't make it that long, but could you imagine when I make it to 70 or 80, if I make it that long? And I'm sitting on the front porch in my rocking chair because that's about all I'm going to do when I'm that age. And my kids just telling me stories about good things going on rather than the crap that we see all the time now. Like I sit down and Paxton and Reese are having good conversations with their kids. Haley's having a good conversation if I let her have kids. Right? Like they're not having to sit down and explain the hard stuff because the hard stuff's being dealt with and it's being resolved. Right? Think about it. David is dying 
He's on his last breath. And I think scripture were recorded whatever David's last breath was, to be honest with you. But it's here that David says, man, I look back on my life and there's some things I'm happy about. and There's some things I'm not happy about. Right. Maybe Joab is, is something you're going to have to deal with because I didn't deal with him because he knew my deep, dark secret. You ever thought about why Joab was allowed to get away with some of the stuff he gets away with? Maybe that was one of the things he didn't deal with. Right? Maybe that's why it comes to mind at, at this last moment. I didn't deal with Joab, so you go have to deal with him. He knew my deep, dark secret. I didn't want it exposed. Deep, dark secrets, he killed Uriah, for those of you who don't know. Right? But it, but it does. He says, but I want you to look back at your life and think about the, the positive things, David. Because I know you're going to die. I mean, Solomon, because I know one day you're going to die, too. And I can't think of nothing better than for me to leave advice for you as you lay back looking at your life that you were pleased with how it went. That maybe like Jesus says to God the Father in John chapter 17, 4, I've glorified you on earth and I've finished the work you've given me to do. Can you imagine getting to say that to Abba? Huh? I did the job you gave me to do and it's all done. Paxton comes sprinting across the yard yesterday telling me he finished mowing the spots he was supposed to mow. He said, what do I do next? I said, there's still a lot of grass. <laughs> right. But but think about it. Think about it. He was he was proud to be able to tell me to do good. No different than Jesus right here. When he looks at Abba and says, I've done the work you've given me to do. Will you be able to look God and tell him that? Will you be able to look at Abba and tell him that? Will you be able to prove yourself a man, a real man, a godly man by doing things God's way to keep the charge that's found, to, to, to find the wisdom, to rely on God's strength? To, to, to renew your commitment and your resolution right now to help our daughters and our mothers and our community to help our sons become men of God. I told you, I believe David's influence is what allowed him to answer right in first Kings chapter three. When God asked him, what shall I give you? However, you need to understand this right now. Godly influence will only go so far. Those that we surround ourselves with and allow to have influence on our lives will make a drastic difference. Because what happens is, yes, he makes the right solution early on in his leadership. And he said, God, I just want you to make me wise and make me smart on how to handle stuff. But then he start letting some bad company into the house. And eventually ended up having so much bad company, 700 wives and 300 concubines. The scripture tells us this in First Kings chapter 11, verse 4. Because of his foreign wives, he was introduced to their foreign gods. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Do you think Solomon receives the promise he was supposed to receive about his son getting the throne? He don't. He don't. His boy don't get the throne. Why? Because it was a conditional promise. And he broke the condition. The condition was you were supposed to stay after me. And instead, you let all these foreigners come in and corrupt you in such a negative way that you began to chase after their stuff rather than me. You chase after their stuff faster than you chase after me. See, church, here's the last little thing right here before we close. Hearing good advice doesn't do anything if we don't apply it. It doesn't do anything if we don't apply it. If we're not willing to take the things we hear when we study scripture and apply them to our daily lives, then we will do just as Solomon and we will crash and burn. Solomon is the last king of a united front. After him, the, 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 uh, the nation is divided. And then it gets divided and then divided. and It just gets, it gets bad. And it all starts because he didn't take the good advice he was supposed to take.
I promise you, I want to do my best to give you good advice. I, I can guarantee you God's word will give you the best advice you can ever get. But I can also promise you this. If you don't take it, it won't be worth a hill of beans. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we're so, so driven, Lord God, by these last words of David to his son, Lord God. Same words, Lord God. I believe that you preach and speak to every single one of us. God, I pray that we take it, God. God, we take each of these verses, but especially verses three through four, Lord God, that we man up. That we stop letting past circumstances and conditions, Lord God, influence the future generations. Lord God, that we hold to your word, your decrees, your statutes, your commitments. Lord, that we testify about the good things that you've done. God, that we keep passing on the good stuff from generation to generation rather than letting corrupt stuff get in and get passed on. God, let us be so filled with goodness, Lord God, that we have that to pass on, that the negative ain't got room to get passed on. We don't have the time to tell about it. Lord, open our hearts right now, Lord God. God, not our minds. We don't need to just be wise right now, Lord God. God, we need our hearts open to apply this wisdom. Lord, touch every man in this room specifically, God, on this special day. God, let them see the responsibility and the trust, the blessing, Lord God, that you want to put on their lives. Lord God, surround them with women and children, Lord God, that are going to pick them up when stuff is hard. God, give them your strength, Lord God, for when things come about on their lives that they're not strong enough to deal with, Lord God, it is you that makes them strong. It is your strength that gives them the ability to carry on. God, help us to be protectors, but protect us yourself, Lord God, against the evil influences of this world. God, help us to preach and pray and prophesy, Lord God, and promote, Lord God, the things that you've called us to do. Lord, start today, not any other day. In your great name we pray. Amen.